You're listening to Pain to Power Podcast, a series of inspirational stories from world-class leaders and high achievers, where you will hear all about past traumas, hardships, and getting through the pain, fighting against all odds, dominating goals and dreams, and now impacting lives. I am your host, Kayla Cardona. This is the podcast that will have you realize your own vision of success, regardless of your circumstances, to unlock your potential. Welcome to Pain to Power. Let's go. Welcome back, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Today is so special. I have an amazing guest I'm super stoked to have on. Um, you know, he's, when, when we talk about pain to power, he's like the one of the biggest definitions that I know as in he has gone through some shit and, and to where he's at today. I mean, I'm talking about adoption um, of, you know, an abusive stepfather growing up, high school dropout, two incarcerations, drug addictions, three divorces, millionaire at 25 and lost it all. It's pretty insane. Um, but I just want to get right into it. Um, Ryan Steumann, thank you so much for joining us. You know what? It's good to hang out with you again. I think we had a really good time at the uh, the M3 event that we did. You know, it's, it's nice hanging out. We went to some club. I don't remember the name of it, like you and me and Jason Stone and Chase and all that. We had a great time. So it's, it's good to be back and, you know, just be able to carry on another conversation with you. Yep, totally. Thank you. Um, so I just want to start in the beginning um, as far as like First of all, adoption. I, I've, I've heard your story a bit and, and you haven't, you've mentioned it, but it, it, you didn't get really far into depth with that. Was that, what, what was that all about? And uh, first of all, where are you from? Where were you born? Uh, we'll start with that. And then we can get into the whole child, early childhood. Cool. I'm, I'm still in Dallas, Texas. Been here for 40 years. Never, never left. I, I traveled the world. Uh, I've been on like 65 plane trips this year. I just, uh, I like Dallas and it's the middle of the country. So it's super convenient to live here when you fly a lot. Um, you know, I, I was, I was adopted at age seven and you got to kind of understand a little bit of the backstory there to, to understand like, uh, most, most kids don't get adopted at seven. And it wasn't like I was like an orphan or whatever. So, uh, my mother and father had me in like 1979, right? And my dad's dad was like an entrepreneur and my mom's dad, he was an entrepreneur too, but he owned a bunch of savings and loans. In 1986, Houston, Texas went from 286 banks to four, right? Like in one year. And uh, my grandfather owned about eight different branches of banks and small towns across the, uh, the state. And so basically those banks went out of business and uh, my grandma actually ended up going to federal prison and because my other, my dad's father had loans at the bank, it was this huge falling out. My parents ended up getting a divorce and I didn't see my dad again for like 18 years. Well, somewhere along the line, my dad was one of those guys, I guess it was like, you know, fuck it. I'm not paying child support. I'm not showing up. I'm just like disappearing. And so after a period of time, my mom remarried and then they had my sister, I think. Yeah, I think they had my sister. And then it's like, to them, I was like the kid that didn't match, right? Like, so, you know, everybody's name is Stuman, and then my name's McCord. And so, you know, my mom convinced my dad, I guess she tracked him down one day and convinced him to give me up for adoption. And 
And my stepdad changed my name. My name was, my birth name was like Ryan Russell McCord. And so now my name's Ryan Keith Stewart. So like, I remember I was so mad at my dad. I was like, well, I don't want to have his middle name either. Cause that his, his name is Russell, right? So I'm like, I don't want to have his middle name either. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just go with your name, right? Yeah, I replaced that dad with that dad. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, years would go by and my stepdad, you know, man, I'll never forget like the first time he whipped me. You know, I was like, damn, dude, who hit somebody like this? Because my, my real dad, you know, even up till five years old, like he had maybe spanked me one time in my life. And the next thing you know, this like stepdad, he's fucking, he comes home one day. It's how fucking weird he was. Like came home one day. And now mind you, I got this dude's last name and I got to live with him. I'm a young kid. I can't go nowhere. He came home from work one day and tells me he spent like hours making this paddle. Like he like literally was on the job spending company money designing a tool to hurt me as kid. Like who, I would spend that same amount of time trying to figure out how I can keep my kid from getting in trouble. You know what I mean? Like I, but like instead he's thinking like, but but what it is, man, is I, I look just like my dad, man. You know, and 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 my stepdad was an insecure motherfucker, right? And so you know, anytime he gave, it was just like some punishment against my dad or whatever, right? This, I, maybe I remind him some other dude banged my mom or whatever, you know what I mean? And, and so I remember I was like uh, 14, 13, and he put me to work when I was like eight years old. Like, so in the summertime, I'm mowing yards at the car washes that he worked for. And, and we didn't own the car washes. Like, he just worked there, right? So, like, I would go and mow the yards and vacuum cars. And then one summer, I'm like 13 or 14 years old. I didn't armor all the tires the way that he liked them. It's like a million degrees outside. This guy's so fat, he can't bend over anyway. And so, like, he's yelling at me about these tires and shit. And I'm like, why don't you go armor all the tires? Like, I, I know what I'm doing. I armor all, like, 1,500 tires a day, man. You ain't done one, right? And he took me out back, and he choked me, you know? And he choked me to a point where, A, I thought I was going to die. And, and you're eight years old. I was, no, I was about 13. Oh, right. okay. Like, but, but, but shit, you know, at 13 years old, I maybe weighed 60 pounds, man. I was a small yeah. kid, you know? And, uh, but even so he choked me and I'm not talking about like, he was like, put me in the headlock and didn't know he had me. I mean, this dude like Homer Simpson style choked me to where the capillaries in my eyes busted open. Like, and, and, and it's funny because like, when I got to go to work the next day, everybody thought I was doing drugs, right? They're like, oh shit, people that's eyes look like that are typically strung out on, on drugs. So people start offering me drugs and stuff. Dude. It was like this, it's like one bad thing to another. But for me, you, you, you asked about adoption, you know, it's like I, the hardest part of it was I had to go to the school, like I think it was in the third grade. So I had to go to the school in the third grade and all the kids knew me like in second grade is Ryan, Russell McCord. Now I'm this same kid in the same class. However, you got to remember my grandfather's bank, which he didn't do anything wrong. The, the SNL shut down across the country. It was just like, you know, back in 2009 when all the banks shut down, right? So the banks do that shit every now and then, right? And, so, and people are casualties of it. But a lot of the people that lived in that city banked with my grandfather. And when your bank shuts down, you lose money, you know? And uh, so they weren't exactly happy. And now I've got this new name. So the kids like really, really rough to me, man. So, you know, while I don't have some, I was an orphan and a, and a, a family picked me up. You know, I have this story of like, I didn't have a dad, had a dad, didn't have a dad. This other dude, you know, adopts me and says he's going to be my dad. But I mean, I, I have a, a six inch metal rod in my right hand uh, from my stepdad was beating me so bad. And I was about 15 that jumped out the window of the second story 
of the house that we lived in and I landed on my hand. And then he, I told him I need to go to the hospital, but he told me that if I told anybody what happened, he would make it even worse. So I just had to like let it heal. And, you know, 10 years later of healing and all that stuff, dude, my, my wrist just gave out one day in the middle of working out uh, because of that. So it's like, you know, just like things like that throughout my whole life, which, which made it really hard for me. Uh, Cause I became this like very hardened person on the exterior. Right. Cause like knowing that I go home and the people that, that I are supposed to love and protect me the most, I might have to fight them mm-hmm. at a young age. You know, I couldn't imagine, I got three boys. I couldn't imagine that shit. You know what I mean? I couldn't imagine my eight-year-old son coming over here and worrying about me beating him up. Or, dude, that kid doesn't even worry about me spanking him. You know what I mean? Like, and, and again, this guy, man, now that I look back, you know, the weird thing, Kayla, is like, when you're in the midst of all this, it's like when someone's a victim of like a sex crime, right? They make you feel like it's your fault, right? Like, uh, like you did it because you were wearing those clothes or it was your attitude or how you acted that made me go. But like, you know, once you get out of that victim mode and you start looking at the bigger picture, like what kind of sadistic bastard spent time at work building a tool to hurt a kid? Mm. That's really what that is. It's not like he went to the store. Hey, I went to the store today and I grabbed the paddle because I'm tired of you messing up. We're going to get serious. It's like, dude, I handcrafted this thing all day at work. I mean, I just look back at things like that. And I'm like, dude, it's absolutely nuts. Let me tell you about this. So in 2013, this is the last time I've seen this guy, my stepdad. I go have dinner with my sister's. uh, So this wasn't that long ago, six, seven years ago, right? Mm -hmm. I go have dinner with my sister, my grandma. It's, It's her birthday, my sister's birthday. My sister has this boyfriend and he's got bad credit, right? And so I know a guy that does credit repair. So I'm just trying to introduce him to somebody that can help him out. And the company that he was doing credit repair with, they were like, I, I know them from the banking business. They're not good, right? They're, they're just not a good company. So I was trying to fix them up with something better. Apparently my stepdad and this credit repair guy that he was already using had some kind of deal on the back end where they were making commission from them or whatever. Like, I don't know. But so my dad, my stepdad, gives the credit repair guy my phone number and my address and tells the guy to do whatever with me. And the guy calls me, comes over the house, threatens me. This is a big dude too, by the way, like, like large size. And mind you, I'm a felon. So at the time I'm not owning guns or any of this shit. I'm still on federal parole. I'm trying to keep my nose clean and all this other stuff. And dude, he gave this dude my address and my phone number. And this dude's literally threatening me. I don't like the cops. I had to get the cops involved because I got a kid now. You know what I mean? And, and, and a wife and, and shit. It wasn't even my house. I was living at my in-laws, dude. It's just like jams forever. But ever since I cut ties with them on that very day, when that dude came out, was the last time I talked to any of them. My life has been good. The lesson there is sometimes the, you think people are doing you a favor when they pick you up and, and make you think you owe them and shit as a young age. But once you can finally get away from them, dude, it can really set you free. Mm. Wow. So, okay, so that was, is what you meant. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I'm a little taken back because I have a boy, you know, and we're, I just can never imagine. Dude, me neither. Just, you, you have three, and it's just, oh, God, it, it, pisses, it pisses me the fuck off. But it's actually kind of funny you brought up the whole paddle thing. It's not funny, sorry. But I meant it's like, I don't know if it was back in the day, like it was a thing, because I remember specifically my own mom had a wooden paddle or excuse me, a wooden case. And when you opened it up, it was like this, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like red, um, uh, what's that soft material on the inside? Oh, it was velvet. like, yeah, like red velvet. And it was a 
just a beautiful wooden spoon paddle that she used to spake me with. And one time um, my ass broke it and she got mad and I started laughing because I knew that it would piss her off more. And it's just anyways, but I, that you just, that, that uh, memory just totally came back when you said that. That's insane. I couldn't imagine like, <laughs> you know, and I know times are different, right? And, 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 and I'm, yeah. I'm not playing the victim role, but like, I couldn't imagine like any scenario where I would be shopping or go shopping for something to hit my kids with these days. Like, I don't know, like it's, it's never come suggested on Amazon. It's like you buy a GI Joe. It's like, also you can get this velvet paddle, right? It just does like, you know, so I don't even know if you could get that shit at Walmart. Like I think to get a paddle these days, I'd have to go to a sex shop. You know what I mean? Like they're not selling stuff like they're not selling stuff like that in Walmart. You know what I mean? Like, no, no they're not advocates of beating your kids and, and, you know, and again, you know, a spanking does good. I have spanked my kids, but I have taught them a lesson. It's been with the belt. The point hasn't been to hurt them. The point has been to anchor the lesson that I was teaching them. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so matter of fact, last time I spanked my kids is about a year ago. I spanked my middle kid and the belt bounced back and hit my hand with the metal thing in it. And I'm sure it hurt me a million. Literally, the first time a dad said, this hurt me more than it hurt you. And it legitimately inflicted more pain on <laughs> Oh, there's a little bit of karma right there, huh? No, but I, I get that. Um, I Same thing, Jordan was younger and uh, he threw a fit one time in a store and, you know, I didn't be, I didn't beat him, but I did enough to get him like, Oh, that is not okay. He's never throw a fit again. That's so, thought, you know, yeah, totally. So let's get into, um, so you were talking about like how people were offering you drugs, stuff like that. Um, I know you mentioned that you've had like drug addictions in the past, like how young were you? And then just kind of move into like when you started getting, cause you, you uh, left school when you're in eighth grade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in the ninth grade, but I didn't finish the ninth grade. So like the last year that I finished was eighth grade. Okay. So, to, so tell us a little bit about what that was like and you know, where you were mentally and where you were going and what happened with that. So the, the, the whole, uh, eyeball blowing up thing happened in like the seventh grade, right? Maybe the summer of the seventh grade going into the eighth grade. So, you know, when you're in a middle school, that's when kids really develop their personality, right? Like they start to be, who's the jock? Who's the cool kid? Who's the stoner? And, you know, I know you live in California. We're in Texas, you know, marijuana and stuff's way different, especially back then. Still pretty different now. You know I mean? Like it, it's, 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 it's just different our state than yours. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't agree with it. Obviously I've, I've been an advocate for marijuana pretty much my whole life, but people see my red eyes and they would be like, Oh, Hey man, you know, you, they would assume that I did hard drugs that, that when my eyes were that way. So people would offer me weed and shit like that. And so it's like, I remember smoking weed for the first time when I was in the eighth grade, it was actually the summer going into the eighth grade. But the kids at the pool, because we were all poor, so we went to the community pool or whatever, they all saw me go off with the stoner people and then come back. So like in eighth grade, I got labeled the stoner person, mm -hmm. right? And so you know how it is. Like if you're a stoner person, that's just now that's your your people. You know what I mean? It's so like, really, really quick, um, is when you say I live in California, you live in Texas, how, how different is it? Is it less acceptable in Texas, like even today? Well, so... Or so I, now I live in Dallas, 
if you get caught with two ounces of weed in Dallas, they just like probably tell you to throw it away. They probably, you wouldn't get caught with it. You'd have to be doing something dickish and then they would bust you with weed because they want to arrest you because you're an asshole. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. They're okay. not actively looking, they probably look for weed dealers, but they're not actively looking for people who possess pot, right? Mm -hmm. But this is small town Texas 20 years ago. No, I'm sorry, 30 years ago. So it's way different. I mean, weed wasn't legal in California, but like drugs have always kind of been like, it's kind of part of the California thing. Texas is the Bible belt. You know what I mean? Mm, it, got it. Okay. Very strict. But these days, like I live in a big city these days, you know, nobody cares. Everybody smokes pot around here, even though it's not legal, right? Like it's, it's common, but it was not that way back then. Mm, got it. Okay. You left school when you were in eighth grade, ninth grade. And then what happened after that? Where did you go? What did you do? So, so I got in a lot of trouble in the eighth grade because I was with those stoner kids, right? And so it just meant more abuse and more issues at home. That's how I ended up with this broken hand and shit. So, but the cool thing was over the summer of the eighth grade, my stepdad made me work all summer going from eighth to ninth. And so I went through and, and, and worked all summer. Well, I made decent money because I was selling car washes and they paid commission. So I made decent money. So I go to school through the ninth grade and I failed the ninth grade shit right how do you fail the ninth grade i didn't i didn't go to school enough oh, like, okay, okay. school and stuff you know getting high in the morning and, and things like that and I, and I just i i didn't i failed right i didn't apply myself but then i was turning 16 and you can go get your gd when you're 16 here in texas right and so i was like i started to do the math if i did the the if i made the same money i made all summer all year long, I would actually be making more money than my teachers were, believe it or not, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did this math, and there used to be this commercial, Kayla, that came on TV, and it's like, this dude, like, he, like, slides out from under a car with his wrench and stuff, right? And they're like, oh, hey, man, you're working on my car. That's really cool, man. I haven't seen you since you dropped out of high school. And he's like, yeah, man, I dropped out of high school to become a mechanic, and here I am making the same money. And he looked, like, poor and trash and everything else. <laughs> First of all, if you're a mechanic these days, you make an ass ton of money, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, back then, and I thought, man, shoot, I don't want to become that person, but I would be out earning my teachers, so I'm going to risk it. If I can out earn them at age 16, surely I can out earn them in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so instead of repeating the ninth grade, I just left mm. and, uh, and went to work for my dickhead stepdad at the car wash uh, for a period of time until me and him, they they they. They, start, they stopped paying me commission, and so I went and got another job, right? But the other job was like paying me, but at this other job, this is what happened. I got a job as an electrician. At this other job, everybody was on drugs. It's like construction business. Like, everybody was on drugs. Well, I didn't really do drugs that much. I might smoke a little pot or whatever, but I saw that all these guys were on coke and meth and everything else, so I went and asked my pot dealer if he could hook me up with that shit, right? And so I start selling to all these guys, which obviously didn't go too well with the owner, and uh and everything else but like I, that's how like I, the first like business opportunity that i ever had was like shit i can work and make five six hundred dollars a week working the job and then shit i can front all these guys dope on monday because i don't have an addiction collect it all from them on friday it, when they get paid and then i'll take home like twelve thirteen hundred dollars double my income and only have to work the same amount of hours and i did that for a, a pretty good amount of time until one night I, uh, I guess I was probably 19 and uh, had a girlfriend. She and I broke up 
And so this other girl, I called this, like, my friend, he called, like, a couple hookers over. They didn't show up. So he called, like, this other backup stripper chick, and she shows up. And she talks me into doing coke with her, right? And so I was drunk by the time she showed up, so it didn't take much talking into, you know what I mean? And a fun fact with me, I have uh, I have paid for two prostitutes and have never had sex with a hooker, right? Like, this story yeah. is hilarious. This will be one of the two times, right? It's like that Dave Chappelle telling the time, the three times he met OJ, this is like the two times I paid for sex and didn't receive it. And so he comes in, talks to me, and she did some coke or whatever, starts like, you know, take her clothes off or whatever. And she's like, come on, you do it. And I'm like, nah, but I'm pretty drunk, right? And I'm like, you know, and obviously I'm horny, so I'm like, shit, whatever. I've seen a bunch of people do this stuff over the years, so I'm gonna be okay. So I just did like a little regular line. It wasn't even any Scarface shit. And when I hit it, and I raised up, apparently, your friend Ryan Stuman here is allergic to cocaine. And the only way to find out if you're allergic to cocaine is to ingest the shit, right? And so my heart just fucking stopped, right? And I went into seizures and all this shit, man. And, and uh, luckily for me, the fire department was like literally 200 yards away. So when she called 911, she ran out of the room. I, I was out, but according to the police report, she ran out of the room, called 911. The, the ambulance guys literally jumped the gate and came through the house. And once they seen, uh, I had like maybe an eight ball or so there, but they seen it in a pistol that I had, which was Texas, totally legal to have a pistol, but because I wasn't a criminal at the time. But since they saw guns and drugs, they called the police. The police gave me, they arrested me. for. I was dead. They brought me back to life so that they could arrest me. And uh, they gave me felony one as if I was moving keys of cocaine, it was like three or four grams of powder cocaine and a, a totally legal gun, like a totally legal pistol. And because it, the, there was guns and drugs together, even though the two had fucking nothing to do with each other, they charged me as if I was damn John Gotti or something like that. And uh, I was poor as shit. It took, you know, I stayed in jail for like three weeks before my grandma could even raise money to bail me out. And, and, and so then I don't have money for a lawyer. Now it's harder to get a job. So I got to go pee and call the bail bondsman and all this other stuff, dude. So it was just kind of a, a nightmare. And it actually pushed me further into selling drugs. You know, it's like, shit, man, I got a short period of time for, I'm probably going to go to prison. Cause I mean, they were offering me 99 years. Oh my god! Yeah, dude, it carries five to 99. So they always hit you with the max. Then they offered me 20 years probation. We're like, we'll give you 20 years probation. That means I would have just got off that bitch like three weeks ago. Uh, and so, <laughs> so you oh, died. Yeah, and it wasn't even like they caught me dealing drugs. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, me and some chick about to have a good time. I made a mistake, overdose. Like, it didn't have to be all this. Now, if I had a lawyer that was worth a damn, they probably could have got the charges dropped or at least minimized or something. But instead, the lawyer was like a, a you know, one of the guys that works for the court or whatever. And he told me this. He said, listen, it's your first time, kid you'll make parole. So I'm going to get you two years in prison and you'll make parole in probably four months. You probably never leave County, County jail. And, uh, he's like, that's going to be your best bet. And I'm like, shit, this guy's a lawyer. He probably knows they're trying to give me 99 years. Like, fuck, I'm in, I'll sign. So I signed for two years. Shit. Three weeks later, they put me on the bus to the penitentiary. I was in like one of the, 
If you Google it, it's called Beto One. It's like one of the worst penitentiaries on the planet. You don't ever hear about it because it's such a dark kept secret because they don't want you to know what they do to people inside of there. And like three weeks later, like $250, I am knee deep in the freaking Mexican mafia, the Aryan Brotherhood, the Bloods, the Crips, serial killers, drug dealers. And I'm not talking about these fake ass rapper dudes that tell stories about people they may have known. I'm talking about the dudes that did the shit they talk about that are in there. And dude and I am in the thick of them. 3,700 people and there was 200 of us that were white. So you can imagine the, the, the tone of racism and stuff uh, that's in there. Dude, it's by the grace of God that I don't have lightning bolts and Nazi signs tattooed all over me. You guys don't understand. Not because I'm a bad person or a racist. It was just that bad of an environment. Had I had more than two years, I don't know what I might have succumbed to over time. Because there was, I think, 100 and... Man, it was either 160 or 180 stabbings and murders within a six month period of time back in 2001, right after uh, the 9-11 shit happened. Dude, it was crazy in there. But here's the thing, when you go to prison, or like when you see TV of people that go to prison, you see them walk down the run and people are like, hey, I'm gonna have sex with you, I'm gonna beat you up, like all that stuff they scream at you, right? That, like that's sort of true. But here's the thing, they moved me eight times. I had to make that same walk in eight different prisons. That means I had to fight somebody in every damn prison. Like, it was like I was on a boxing tour, right? And, 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 and dude, it was, uh, it, was, it was very, very, very hard. I ended up doing about 18 months of the two years, and it, and it was difficult, very difficult. There's no air conditioning in there, none of that shit, right? Uh. So, uh, so I got out and, and uh, swore that I would never mess with drugs again. Never, never, not gonna sell drugs, not gonna break no laws, like I'll mind my own damn business and be a good boy, you know what I mean? And this was your first time in prison, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And Which obviously implies that there was a second for those of you, <laughs> okay, you know? <laughs> wow, okay. So you get out of prison, you're like, I'm never fucking with drugs again. And then um, there's, uh, I think, are you still with your first wife or you're already? No, at this point, I'm still a single dude. Oh, okay, you know, got it. Thing okay. Is I went to prison. I didn't have no kids. I had no money that I owed anybody. And I told the dudes that I sold drugs for, their names were Angel and Dolfo. And you'll, 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 I'll tell you why I tell you their name in a minute. But I told them, I was like, here's your money. Here's your shit. I'm out going to prison. I'll never see you guys again. They're like, yeah, that's what everybody says, man. We'll see you in two years, right? And so, but they weren't going to hold me to it. They weren't like, hey, you're a part of our gang. Again, I'm an independent, right? So they're like, you're, whatever. But I get out. I don't do drugs again. I go back to work at the car wash. I mind my own business. I walk straight and narrow. I get a job at the car wash. Some, this lady comes and washes her car on a regular basis. She's got like a Lexus, right? And she offers me a job. And she wants me to come work for her finance institute, right? This is like mortgage company that she has. I don't know shit about anything. Obviously, I'm uneducated felon. And I told her that. She's like, dude, I'll make you successful. She went playing. And so I quit the job at the car wash. And I went to work. Her name is Monica. She passed away a couple of years ago. But went to work for Monica. Now, this wasn't like some lady trying to hit on me. Or like, I'm not that good looking of a dude anyway that like that happens like chicks don't hit on me when I go places even when I was a kid it's just like they were younger it's just like never been that fortunate so it wasn't like this lady was like some older lady coming on to me as a young guy you know what I mean she just mm -hmm. truly saw some some talent in me 
well, my first three weeks working there, I made like 7,800 bucks. So I think it was 8,600 bucks or something like that. Then like another three weeks go by and I make like 14 or 20 grand. So like now I'm like $30,000 deep in like a month and a half's work. And I'm like, oh shit, I used to work a whole year for this. You know? <laughs> and so within like a short period of time, became the top producer in the branch. I start going to seminars and picking up people that would sign up for real estate seminar training packages. I start doing business with those people. So like I would go to like a, uh, a fortune builders seminar and the people that sign up and buy their program, I'd wait till they come out of there and I'd start shooting the shit with them. It's like, Hey man, I can supply you with all the money you need dirt cheap. And dude, I built this huge network of investors in 2000 and 2001, I was released from prison right after nine 11 and uh, uh, several months after nine 11. So like probably November, December of 2000 or 2001. By 2005, I made $773,000 in a year, legitimately. Like cash, money, bought a house, cars, the fast life, right? Thinking mm -hmm. it was never going to end. Well, the cops, I still live in that same little shitty small town, right? Because like, I want to go back, prove everybody, look at me, I'm a badass now, right? Mm -hmm. Fucking cops, dude, they can be haters, man. They, they thought that I was selling drugs because by their definition, that was the only way that I could have been successful. And so they go get a warrant based on the fact that, you know, got all this shit and a lot of traffic because people are coming over like you're a real estate agent. So people would come over and pick up HUDs and people would come over and drop off checks for the rental properties they had from their own 33 properties. And like, they had a lot going on. So people would stop by. So they thought I was selling drugs. Mm. I just didn't like going to the office. I like my house. And, and so uh, they raided my house. There was obviously no drugs in there. And, uh, but they needed something. And so, they pinned a gun on me that wasn't even mine. And it's, it's a long story we don't have time for on here, but wasn't even mine. And so they arrested me for felon in possession of a firearm. I beat the case in, in uh, the, the county or the state or whatever. I'm a free man. The fucking ATF picked the case up. I pissed the DA off beating the case and they want to make sure that I couldn't sue the city for, for making mistakes with their warrants and stuff. So the ATF picked up my case. You don't beat a federal case. Like you mm -hmm. don't, you either snitch and it gets dropped or you do whatever they send it to you to. Well, shit, there ain't, who am I going to snitch on? I'm not even selling drugs, right? Mm -hmm. Like what I'm, who am I going to snitch on? I have a, it's, it's a legal gun. It's my stepdad's gun, right? Like there's, there's nobody to snitch on. I don't know anybody. Cause I, so I'm six years removed from that world at that time, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So they tell me they're going to give me 20 years in federal prison. Ugh. Man, I'm just like minding my own damn business. I wasn't yeah. even home when they raided my house. I wasn't even fucking home. I was in Mexico on vacation with my family. And so, like, so now that I'm like, dude, I don't know what I did to you, God, but whatever it was, I'm sorry. You know, like, really, that was like a huge, like, how am I going back? I've been going to church. I've been doing this. I'm working an honest job. Man, I'm trying to, you know, get, this is my, working on getting married for a second time. My first wife came and gone in, in this period of time. And so, I, 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 we were only married for like six months. So I, that's why I don't talk about it much. So there wasn't really much to it. And so I, I, uh, I'm like, man, you know, what, what did I do to deserve this? And so I hired this, this attorney for the federal case and I go see him at his office the first time. And I had his address, but didn't put, didn't dawn on me where it was, but I go there and his address was on the corner of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Boulevard. And I don't know about the city you live in, but when those two streets intersected, it's never a great part of town. 
And so I go over there and I'm like, oh shit, man, this guy's down to do some gangster shit, I bet. You know, like this is the kind of person I need on my team. So I go in there, talk with him. And he says, uh, you're screwed, man. You're screwed. It's, here's his $50,000. And, uh, and fuck, dude, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. It's 50 grand just for the circumstance as it is to take care of it. He's like, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> and so about, he goes, but I can stall for up to three years. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I can stay out for three years and figure out how the hell I'm making enough money to get out of the country or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, about six months later, he hits me up. And he says, hey, man, I know you know a lot about marketing. I'm going to run for district attorney of Dallas County. And I was like, I think, dude, if this guy wins, shit, I bet he can get me a better sentence. Dallas is the second biggest county in Texas. So if this dude wins, he's like big, big shit here in Texas. Like, I'm going to make this happen. First of all, some very th- times have changed just from 2000 and that would be 2006 now but Dallas had never had a black judicial seat ever so never been a black judge there never been a black DA there never been a black any any in any of that lineage it always been old white men there never even been a woman and so and and there never been a Democrat okay Mm. it's always been which is funny because now Dallas is a a very blue city right like and, and i'm not talking politics but i'm saying it's crazy how it flipped and i and i watched kind of how this has happened here i'm about to tell you and i see them doing to texas like what they did to california which is kind of scary in some some facets you know what i mean and so yeah. but i see how it happened because i played a part in it so if i get this dude elected my life could be saved mm. so we go and we decide to get all the poor people to vote and all the rich people live in big houses what i live in all the poor people live in apartment complexes stacked on top of each other. So we're doing everything we can do to get voting polls next to them and get transportation for them that need it for free and where it's seamless and easy. And dude, we got everybody in the hood to vote for my homeboy who was black and a Democrat and won. And this was before you're behind bars, right? Second time, you know? Second, okay, so this is bef- right before. Right, okay. I see, hey, okay. if you don't get elected, my ass is going to prison for 20 years and we ain't having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets elected. He pulls some favors. Long story short, I get 15 months in federal prison, which after them coming at me with 20 years, that sounds like a hell of a deal. Mm-hmm. Before I left, I got married, remarried, turned over all my stuff to her when I went in there and she ended up sleeping with the landscaper and like taking everything from me. Didn't she like write you a letter? And that's how you like you got excited. Oh, my wife wrote me a letter and you opened it. And then she's like, oh, I've been sleeping. That's yeah, Jesus. yeah. Like as if I had been, as if I did something wrong. You know, what I mean, she's writing yeah. me a letter. As if I started an argument with her, and this was her rebuttal to mm. you know, me not mowing the yard or something like that. You know, but she's it, been doing that for like what, what was it, like a year or something? Yeah, something. It was okay. happening. Yeah, it was probably. It was all happening before I went in. You know. Oh my god. Oh my heart. <laughs> That's insane. So it just, it just sounds like, it just sounds like every because trauma has different different categories you have every category like everything bad that could possibly happen to somebody was molded all in one and it just was thrown at you that's freaking insane so okay but it makes a hell of a story we gotta admit that yeah have you written a book yet 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's called Hardcore Closer. It has nothing to do with sales. That's like our our secret. It's like our our textbook. You can grab it on Amazon, or I'll send you a copy, obviously. But yeah, but yeah. I, this I was cool trying to look book. it up. I I see if you had like a book or something at it. Yeah, it was the first book I wrote. I need to rebrand it because uh, you know. A, it would make sense to call it something else now that I'm more known for this story. Back then I was just right. a sales guy, right? So, but check this out. Remember I told you those two names earlier. Yeah. So I go into federal prison and, and here in Texas and it's like uh, two weeks in and I'm standing in line and there's these two big like Puerto Rican dudes in front of me. And I'm like, Hey man, is your name Angel? And he turns like, man, what the fuck do you want, man? It's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm white. I'm not Puerto Rican. Right. And it's just like, you just don't cross those lines sometimes, but I was pretty fucking convinced it was the dude that used to sell me drugs in his homeboy, like right there in front of me. And I'm like, what are the chances I'm in federal prison Jesus. 11 years later? Like, what are the chances, you know? And so he's like, yeah, white boy, what do you want? And I was like, you don't remember me, dude. I am. I'm the white boy. Remember I didn't snitch on none of you motherfuckers. I didn't do anything. I wouldn't have did my time and you ain't heard from me since. And he's like, Oh shit. I do remember you. Uh -huh. And I was like, well, obviously things both led us here today. Right. <laughs> well, so he goes, uh, he got caught with like, you know, hundreds of pounds of methamphetamine. He ain't never fixing to get out. Right. And so for, for me, I got 15 months. And I told him, I was like, man, I'm here on some bullshit gun crime. And he's like, Dude, well, you know, who were you getting weight and stuff from? I was like, man, I really had fucked with drugs since I seen you guys last. And he's like, dude, it was like 1999 or some shit. I was like, I know, man. He goes, well, how do you like, you know, how you been getting off? I was like, dude, I had a job. I was making a million dollars a year. He's like, what the fuck? And then I told him that I was working in real estate. And he's like, dude, think you can help us clean up our drug money into real estate money while we're in here? And I was like, dude, I can't help you, but I can tell you exactly what banks look for and how to do it. So, dude, I started teaching seminars to drug dealers inside a federal prison, inside the library on Thursdays. They would come in there and I would show them how to clean up their money and buy investments and shit because I have been doing that with, with the legal side of it for a while now. I taught them how to double close shit so their money didn't get transferred, all this shit, right? So then I'm in federal prison and it's like Shawshank Redemption. I'm everybody's homeboy. You know, like all the gangsters that have money are, are and my information is obviously working out for them because they own in property and shit because they're telling me. And so all of a sudden, dude, like I, like I had about as good a time as you could possibly have, at least in prison. I didn't have any drama, I didn't have any fights. So it gave me time to read like 200 books. You know what I mean? Like a book a day, I'd literally get knocked out. It gave me time to practice teaching people at the seminars and stuff. And, you know, it's just like, you know, even though I had all this terrible shit going on outside, it was like that, that still gave me a peace of mind. Like I still felt like I was in the free world, you know? Yeah. Wow. So all that, what you do right now was born inside prison. And that's where it, that's, that's really, that's really cool. You know, your story is like something that they would make a movie out of. Have you ever thought of that? I've had three people offer, offer and, uh, that, that were like actual screenwriters that I, I haven't like hit them up. They randomly hit me up mm -hmm. and very, very notable people actually. Um, and they've tried to sell it. And the reason why it hasn't got picked up yet is because I believe the timing's not right. I believe I'm not as popular uh, as I'm going to be. And I believe it'll make an even bigger story when I'm more popular. I'm about to see. So here's the good news. Right. Flash forward through that and a bunch of other shit. I'm doing pretty damn good. Right. I lived like my best life. I have the greatest wife in the world. Right. Yes. I've been married four times, but you know what, dude, I've been trying to close that 
section of my life down for forever. Finally, it took some focus to figure out what I really wanted. So, plus the government kept incarcerating me and that screws up a few things too. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, you know, I, I'm married to my, like literally I couldn't think of a better person to be married to. I have three great sons. Uh, I have eight businesses that fire on all cylinders with wonderful employees and like zero business. I got zero business partners, zero debt. I don't owe a bank or a credit card, nobody money. Like I am like stress-free living my best life. I'm, and, and when it comes to like zero debt, like, dude, I'm richer than Jeff Bezos when you really think about it. Cause I don't owe nobody shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like nobody can come to me and say that I owe them a favor behind some money stuff. Cause I don't owe nobody no money. So it means you can't control me, mm -hmm. which is, a guy like me that's been incarcerated, I know what control feels like and I like to get out from under it. So, you know, things are good. But because of all this, I had to really learn some serious, serious mental toughness. You know, uh, David Goggins was my coach for about a year. And this is about three years ago. And uh, he said, he told me, he's like, dude, you're one of the mentally, he's like, dude, the, the shit that you've had to endure, you're one of the toughest dudes out there when it comes to mindset. He's like, dude, I should be asking you questions. He's like, my thing's from a militaristic running thing. Yours is like overall life skills that you've been able to conquer. You know, I was the guy that talked him into writing a book, believe it or not. So, mm. and uh, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's one of the best books I've ever written. I have, yeah. And so, and so, you know, because of that, I came up with this concept because I've had a lot of success. I still have a lot of successful friends. I've had a lot of success myself. I've had a lot of unsuccess. And, and I find this thing like the force of average. Like, notice my story, like from my grandfather. He's like a rich-ass banker, poor. My grandma's in federal prison, right? For me, we're living on top of the world, adopted, abused. Like, get back out, get my life together, psh, go back to prison, right? Get divorced. Like, all these little setbacks. I call it the force of average. Because if you want to live a below life, a below average life, it's pretty, you know what I mean? You get welfare checks, people will take you in their house, they'll look out for you. I mean, it's not really that hard. It's actually very comfortable for a lot of people to live that way or they would get outside of it. But when you decide you're going to do something great, when you're going to teach people how to, to, to get rid of their pain without having to take hydrocodone, right? Like through your podcast, when you teach how to have a bigger heart, when you teach people how to overcome struggles, right? When you teach people how to make money, when you, when you do all these things that makes you, it makes your level of greatness more than average, the force of average tries to pull you back down. Oh, you wanna make a lot of money? Watch me fuck up your marriage. Mm. Oh, you wanna have a great marriage? Watch me make you have to file bankruptcy. Oh, you have a great marriage and a lot of money? Watch me give you cancer. It's always fucking up to looking for something, man. It's always looking for a way to distract you because as a human being, when we are focused, we're in the zone, right? When we, when we are focused, we're in the zone. And when we're in the zone, we're unstoppable. And so what I've learned is this, this lifestyle called the G-code, right? A lot of that has to do with watching how people carry themselves in prison, on the streets, and then in business as well. But it's not like the code to being a gangster. It's the code to being great, right? And, and you know, for Christian people, it can even be like the code to being more godlike, if you mm -hmm. think about it, right? Yeah. And so, or, or just religious people, not even just Christian people, right? But, but for me, it's the code to being great. And there's four areas that we have to focus on, you know? And area one is our mindset. You know, we have to focus on having a grateful mindset. That's what we call G1, the grateful mindset. If you're not thankful for what you have now, you won't appreciate what's next either. You know, yeah. like people say, oh, I want to make a million dollars. But if you're not grateful for the thousand you have right now, you'll never give a shit about the million you think you're working for. Exactly. The second thing is your genetics, right? Like what good is a bunch of money? What good is all the love in the world if you're sick as shit and you can't enjoy it? Or if you got to take a bunch of pills or if you got to lose a foot or take a shot, 
or whatever. It's, it's just not worth it, right? So you got to make sure you take care of your genetics. You don't have to go full keto diet or whatever, right? Just like right. make sure that you follow this simple math formula. Calories consumed minus calories burned equals calories retained. You want to okay. retain as well. So you mean you're talking about health and fitness and keeping yeah, yourself. Oh, yeah. Genetic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. G2, right? Got to take care of your genetics. Right. G3 is your grind, right? That's where you're working. And so, you know, you got to take the business, the money that comes from that business funds everything else, right? It funds your lifestyle and your genetics and your gym membership and everything else. It, it, it creates a happiness factor where you enjoy that grateful mindset. So you're grinding. And then the fourth G of the G code is the group of people that you're surrounded with. And I think that's the most important, right? Because if you got the right people, they're going to tell you that you're a little out of shape, right? From a place of love because they want you to live a happy, healthy life, right? They're going to tell you that you're not eating right. They're going to tell you that you need to work harder. They're going to tell you you need to work on your thinking if you need that. If you've got the right group of people around you, because listen, I've had the bad group of people, right? Mm -hmm. I've had the bad family members. I've had the bad gangsters wound up in prison, wound up getting beat, all this other stuff. But man, right now I have a great group of people in my life and I couldn't ask for anything more. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get focused on winning in those four areas and, and being great in those four areas on a daily commitment, and we got a whole process that we don't have time to go into on the show, but when you really focus on those four things daily, you really start getting the trajectory and, and the wins and stuff that, that you've been wanting your whole life, right? Oh, I think I lost you. No, no, I'm still here. I, oh, I, uh, there we go. I thought you were deep in thought. I was like, oh, oh this is finished. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, no, it's I okay. I was just explaining why you hadn't lost me. I was like, no, you hadn't lost me. I'm totally here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it like, I don't, I don't know what happened. I didn't hear anything or see anything. Um, oh, good. Yeah, well, wow. Was that already an hour? I can't feel, I don't know. I think we started a little bit later. What was that? I'm flies. You know, that's, that story goes fast. Yeah, that's, that's okay. So, um, I did ask my followers, um, a couple of questions that they wanted to ask you. And, um, I just picked like the top two questions. Um, one guy, I thought this was very interesting. Um, one guy, I'm not going to say his name. He's, he chose to be anonymous. He said, I just came out of prison and I can't seem to get my life back in order. How were you able to mentally come out of being incarcerated? So, and I think everyone needs to hear this. So from, from where you when your mentality from before to now, what I noticed was you've always had that drive. Like you just kept going regardless. Like it's almost like I'm, I'm going to get it this time. I'm going to get it this time, regardless if it was right or wrong, but um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and let you answer that. But that's very, that's a good one. I want to. The first time I came out of prison, I knew that selling drugs wasn't the life for me. And I knew that I damn sure didn't want to go back to, to prison. And so my stepdad gave me that job at the car wash back. And so I told myself one thing, if I work 10 hours a day, seven days a week and bust my ass at this car wash, there's a chance that within the next 10 to 12 years, I could either save up enough money or earn enough respect to buy it. My goal was to go there and be the best fucking car wash guy under the fucking planet ever seen in the history of washing cars. And that's exactly what I did. I went in there and I knew everything. I could take that building apart and build it back with my bare hands, man. I knew everything. I knew the ratio of mixtures. I knew how to do this, that, and the other, every machine. What nobody in the company even knew the shit that I knew. And this was before YouTube and Google, which meant that I had 
break and fuck up a lot of shit to learn it all, but I learned it, right? Mm -hmm. And so because of that, now here's the thing. My expectation was to be the best car wash guy and work my ass up and have that, right? So the outside world didn't matter to me, right? I had a job that's like, you know, my friend one time he asked me, he said, man, when you were 25 and you made all that money, tell us all the stories about all the crazy sex and parties and stuff you asked. Man, I never do any of that. I never did any of that. I focus on the right things. Like, why would I let that distract me, right? I'm focused on what's coming next in life. Those are all distractions. And so I, I say that because, you know, most people, they get out of prison and that's what they do. They go try to, you know, have sex with anything they can to make up for lost times and stuff like that. And I told some of the best damn car wash guy out there. Here's what happened because somebody took note. Somebody noticed that I was a badass at washing cars. This lady, Monica, she came in one day and she said, every time I come here, you do several things. She said, doesn't matter how busy it is, you always try to sell me something. I tell you, I want a $10 wash. You automatically start at 30 and start working your way down until we agree at 15. She goes, every time that I come here, you vacuum my car, then drive it on the track. Then I usually come up front and you're wiping it off after you have two or three other cars. She goes, at first, I thought maybe you were just doing it for my car, but she says, I've parked across the street and watched you do it all day several times before I pulled in here. She goes, you're a machine. I want to give you a job. Uh, she said, so I, had that's... No idea. I had no idea that this lady existed. I didn't know she'd been watching me. I didn't know that I upsold her every time. It was just fucking, that's what you did if you were going to be great at that job. Right. And she took notes. So what I'm saying is, even if you have to go take a shit, I work for $6.55, man. Even if you got to work for $6.55 an hour, right? Even if that's the job you got to take, go be greater at that than anybody else. And soon you'll be paid more. And then soon enough, the right person will take note and go, this motherfucker's not, he's in the wrong job. I'm going to put him where he belongs. Mm -hmm. The second time I got out of prison, I already had a taste of success. So I know if I can do it once, I can do it again. And I just went right back into the mortgage world. Wow. So, uh so to answer that question, um, I, I guess he was asking, how were you able to mentally come out of that? And your, your answer is basically, whatever it is that you're doing now, whatever situation that you're in now, you have to be the very best at what you're doing is what you're saying. And then eventually things will fall into place. Is that? That's been the story of my life. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. You know, I've been working at this internet job for a long time. And if you ask people who know, they'll tell you, there's nobody better creating content than me, you know, but it's taken me a while just to get the notice that we have now. And now in the next five years, you'll see it get be gigantic. I've written a book called the G code and all this stuff that teaches all these things, right? Mm -hmm. You'll see this movement get big, but I had to be great at all these other things first in order to get this movement to where it's at. So I still live by that principle and that ology. Wow. Yep. Yeah. All right. Going on to the second question. How are you able to juggle being the success you are today, a father, husband, and deliver all the content you do daily? That's so funny that you just said that because that was the next question. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm focused, right? So I live and die by a schedule. Uh, Kayla, I'll tell you, you know, we, I, call, I, I hit her up like, man, maybe two minutes before we were supposed to get on here. Like I live and die by a schedule. I don't miss anything. And uh, I just spent the last three hours in church with uh, my pastor friend uh, before this. So everything I do is on a calendar, including time with my kids, including mm -hmm. time with my wife. And people think, how would you make your wife schedule an appointment with you? Well, if, if Kayla here wants to on her podcast, 
and she schedules an appointment with me, that proves that there's an importance, right? Now we have an appointment and that's important for both of us to follow through on the commitment for that appointment, hence us being here on this podcast together, right? So why would I treat my wife with the same respect that I treat my business, right? And then what happens a lot of times, trust me, I've fucked up three marriages and, and have tried the fourth one several times, right? I mean, like, I'm just now starting to get all this together. But you, you think about it, it's like, you know, most women to us guys complain that we don't pay them enough attention, that we're paying the business too much attention. And, and, it, and then we don't schedule time with them and give them the same as the business. So when I explained it to my wife, the first time she's like, I'm not going to schedule time. This is back when she was my girlfriend. She's like, I'm not going to schedule time with you. It's like, no, that makes it official. Right. If I make time for everybody else on this schedule, then there's no telling that then we're not going to come home tonight. And at seven o'clock, we go, I don't feel like doing date night. Let's just kind of stay in. No, we have an appointment to go to this particular place for date night. That's what we're going to do. We have our words set on an appointment and a schedule. Like when we're done here, that's what we're doing next is we're going on date night because I got to go to Puerto Rico tomorrow where I want to be gone for three days on the road. And so we do date night, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but, but it's on the calendar. Mm hmm. Time management. Yep. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to end this with um, th my my three last questions. You can answer them as um, you know as simple as you want. Um, uh, what is the best advice you can tell the listener listeners who are going through their worst pain points right now? Well, you know, uh, I can tell you that you're being tested for a reason. If you're going through an extreme amount of pain, right, then it's because the world, the force of power, just trying to see how much you're willing to take in order to willing in order to get what you really want. You see, most of us are in these dark periods of time, and then we quit and we pivot and we we just give up. And really, all that was was a test to see if we really want what we say we want, right? Like I've always wanted to change the world with my words, right? I thought I was going to be a sales trainer. I thought I was going to read. The truth is, man, I'm more like a pe preacher than anything else, you know, and, yeah. and, and all, all, my close buddies call me the street preacher. You know, that's like, that's really what I'm doing more than anything else. And the, the thing is like, you know, it's not easy to go through dark times, but if I hadn't been through the dark times that I was through, the shit that I told you today wouldn't be any different than any other asshole that's read some regurgitated stuff. But instead, I lived it. So the struggle that you're facing right now is the story of triumph you get to share with those that matter later. That's very extremely powerful. All right, next question. Um, what is the best and most important advice you can tell to our younger generations? Stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. <laughs> that is the, like, there's one that saved my ass. I didn't have, when I got out of prison, I didn't have any debt. So I didn't have to go back to selling drugs to owe people money. Right. When, when it didn't work right in my business, I didn't have to like worry about filing bankruptcy and stuff like just stay out of debt. And that means don't use credit cards. Don't go to, don't get student loans. Don't do any of that shit. Like put your money back. Fuck partying. Forget all that, like these clowns that you see on Instagram that are acting all cool and shit like that, like, you have you have no idea. Like you have that shit. So <laughs> I do have an idea. Do <laughs> the audience that like and manipulation and everything else. Like don't, dude, when when they ask me, stupid, how you get, how do you live the life that you live? Is because I I struggle in my twenties and thirties in the right way. Right, I struggled in my 20s and 30s while everybody else was trying to get me to go out, get bottle service, and listen, if you're a dude listening to this, 
we don't even get good looking until we're like 35 anyway. As long as you don't just fuck up and let yourself go after high school. If you keep working out and you take care of yourself as a man, you don't even really become attractive until 35, right? And so the, all the time in the 20s and, and all that, you're not going to catch you a real woman anyway and, and all that stuff, dude. And, and all the sex that you could have because you went out and partied and all the hangovers that you could struggle because you went out and partied, you will, you, at one point, you will be willing to trade every damn one of those for a dollar in the future. So you oh. might as well just start putting the dollars back to begin with. That's my advice. Yeah, 100%. I even told my son, he's turning 13 in December, He, you know, about getting a car. And I'm, I, I refuse. I told him, I refuse to have you in any debt. No car loans, no nothing. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to start um, saving money right now from, you know, he's 13 all the way up to he's 16. Whatever he saves up, I'm going to mirror that amount. And so we're going to buy him a car, but I'm like, as long as you're under my roof, you're not going to get a car loan, nothing, because I'm not going to allow him to be in the debt, but it starts with the parents. The parents need to, you know, you know, guide their children in that way. So 100% Ryan, you killed it, nailed it on that one. All right. Last question for today. What legacy do you want to leave here before it is your time? So, dude, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the legacy. It's the G-Code. My book comes out at the end of next month, and I'm telling you right now, mark my words, when you see this, you're going to see celebrities, and I'm talking the biggest names in the business that are not, not because I paid them, right? Not because somebody owes me a favor, but they're literally going to read my book, and it's going to change their life. This is going to be the thing. I, I've never said this about anything I've done, and I've done some pretty damn magnificent shit without trying to, like, pat myself on the back too hard, but you're about to see this. Keep your eye out for it, because... Like, there's not going to be no free shipping book funnel. It's going direct to Amazon. We're not going to pay publishers. We're not going to charge $30 for the book. We're going to charge 7 or 10 bucks, and we're going to move 7 or 10 million units of it because when people read this and they start living by it, I got a software accounting system that's absolutely free that goes alongside it. Dude, I'm here to change lives. That's my legacy. Ugh, I love it. I cannot wait till that releases. I'm going to be the one, first one to get that. Um, and also I did watch your video on, I believe it's forceofaverage.com. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's well, a big part of the uh, G code. Yeah. Yep. After listening to that, I was like, oh, for sure. I could see you as a preacher, like in church. I was like, everything you were saying, I'm like, amen, amen. Anyways. Um, well, that's it for today, Ryan. You're phenomenal. My freaking jaw was dropped pretty much the whole time, <laughs> but you're amazing. I appreciate you so much for being on here and that's a wrap for today. Thank you again, Ryan. Thanks for having me and let me share my story with your people.